Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 71, recorded here on July 2nd, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. All right, so we'll get started with the weekly market update. Wall Street's major averages closed out a strong first half of the year on an upbeat note Friday, powered by technology stocks such as Apple, which achieved a historic $3 trillion market capitalization. Moreover, the Federal Reserve's favorite inflation gauge, the Core Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, moderated in May on both a month-to-month and year-to-year basis, easing some of the rate concerns that have weighed on markets recently. All 11 S&P sectors ended in positive territory for the day, led by the technology with uh, close to a 2% gain. Notably, the S&P 500, Dow Jones, and NASDAQ Composite Indexes all notched gains uh, for the week, month, quarter, and first half of the year. For the week, the three benchmarks all gained about 2%. For June, the S&P and NASDAQ both added about 6.5%, and the Dow's 4.6% gain was the best showing since November. For the second quarter, the S&P's 8.3% jump was its best quarter since Q4 2021, while the NASDAQ surged nearly 13%, and the Dow added 3.4%. Finally, for the first six months of 2023, the NASDAQ exploded 31.7% higher for its best half since 1983, and the S&P soared 15.9% for its best first half since 2019, while the Dow added a more modest 3.8%. The second half of the trading year starts off with a holiday-shortened week next week. And looking ahead, economic releases covering construction spending, factory orders, and initial jobless claims will be sandwiched around the 4th of July holiday before the June jobs report lands on the laps of investors on July 7th. Economists forecast 213,000 jobs were added during the month and for the unemployment rate to dip to 3.6% from 3.7%. Average hourly earnings are forecast to be 0.3% month over month and 4.2% year over year. Major banks will also be watched closely next week after the group passed the Federal Reserve's stress tests that simulated a severe recession. Analysts expect dividends to be increased by most large banks, but share repurchases are expected to be relatively subdued in the near term until the direction of the economy becomes more clear. Bank of New York Mellon, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Truist Financial, Citigroup, and State Street are some of the banks in the spotlight for capital allocation developments. Uh, And while some large banks are likely to weather the storm, dozens of smaller banks may fail in the next 12 to 18 months due to risky real estate loans and falling deposits. So something to keep an eye on. A light week of calendar events means that Apple's dalliance with the $3 trillion market cap and Tesla's Q2 deliveries report could attract outsized attention. Moving along to Bitcoin news, top stories of the week. Um, U.S. SEC deems spot Bitcoin ETF filings as inadequate. 
There may be a longer wait for a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund in the United States as the Securities Exchange Commission labeled investment managers' recent applications inadequate. The SEC told the SEC and the Chicago Board Options Exchange that their filings are not, quote, sufficiently clear and comprehensive. The regulator returned the filings, citing the lack of information regarding the proposed surveillance sharing agreement. Asset managers can still resubmit their applications. Kathy Wood's ARC is reportedly first in line for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, ARC Investment Management is reportedly ahead of BlackRock in the race for a spot Bitcoin ETF as it still has a previous application pending with the United States Securities Regulator. ARC and 21 shares filed their third application for a spot Bitcoin ETF in April and amended it this week to include a surveillance sharing agreement, making it similar to BlackRock's filing. Since BlackRock's application on June 16th, other investment firms such as Valkyrie, Wisdom Tree, and Invesco have reapplied for spot Bitcoin ETFs. Binance to lose support of its Euro banking partner. Crypto exchange Binance informed users that its current Euro banking partner, PaySafe Payment Solutions, will no longer support the exchange after September 25th. Binance said it will switch to a new service provider for euro deposits and withdrawals via SEPA bank transfer, though it didn't name which provider that would be. In recent months, Binance has been facing waves of backlash from regulators around the world, leading to a cessation of operations in various countries. FTX has recovered $7 billion in assets so far, has almost $2 billion to go to cover misappropriations. FTX has recovered about $7 billion in liquid assets so far, and the search for additional assets is continuing, according to an interim report released on June 26th. The extensive commingling of funds complicates their efforts, however. The FTX debtors, made up of FTX and affiliates, currently estimate the amount of misappropriated customer assets at $8.7 billion. Most of that money, about $6.4 billion, was in fiat and stable coins. The former FTX leadership did not commingle and misuse customer deposits by accident, the report alleged. Three AC liquidators look to recoup $1.3 billion from founders. Tenio, the liquidator behind bankrupt hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, is seeking to recover roughly $1.3 billion in funds from its founders, Suju and Kylie Kyle Davies. The debt reportedly incurred when 3AC was already solvent, adding to creditors' losses. <clears throat> the company owed creditors $3.5 billion, making the founders' potential liability more than a third of the total debt. Davies and Zhu have maintained active social media profiles, but their physical whereabouts are unknown, delaying the liquidation process. Both 3AC founders have received digital subpoenas during the bankruptcy proceedings to date. They have not cooperated. And let's see. Prediction of the week. Bitcoin speculators send 35K Bitcoin to exchanges in new elation inflow. Bitcoin short-term holders are feeling the need to sell Bitcoin at 30,000, according to a recent report from analytics firm Glassnode, flagging tens of thousands of coins being sent to exchanges. This indicates that speculative interest in Bitcoin remains fickle and highly sensitive to even smaller price movements. 
historical data has shown that once um, short-term holder profitability reaches an aggregate 20%, selling begins, and against their current 26,500 break-even point, anything much above 33,000 could spark a significant shift in hodler composition. <clears throat> current data shows short-term holder profitability at around 10% with their realized price, the price at which short-term holder coins last moved now at above 27,000. FTX alleges <clears throat> former exec used hush money to silence whistleblowers. FTX has filed a lawsuit against a former regulatory and compliance executive at the exchange, alleging he made a series of payments attempting to prevent staff from blowing the whistle about the exchange's issues. Daniel Friedberg, who held multiple leadership roles at the exchange, is accused of making hush money payments to two potential whistleblowers to stop them from leaking information about regulatory issues and the close ties between FTX and Alameda. Over $204 million was lost in Q2 DeFi hacks and scams. Over $204 million was lost in decentralized DeFi hacks and scams in the second quarter of 2023. According to a recent report, a total of $208.5 million was initially lost during the quarter but $4.5 was recovered through prosecutions, deals with hackers, and other recovery methods. The number of DeFi hacks in Q2 rose by almost seven times year-over-year year with 117 incidents during the period compared with only 17 in the same quarter of 2022. A total of over $665 million was lost during the first half of 2023. The rug pulls will continue until morale improves. <clears throat> Revolut USA to delist Ada, Matic, and Solana in September. Crypto-friendly neobank Revolut is next to delist a batch of digital assets on its platform in the United States amid the ongoing regulatory developments in the country, including the complete delist of tokens like Cardano, Polygon, and Solana. The firm, however, still supports the tokens in other jurisdictions outside the country. These were labeled as unregistered securities by the SEC in early June. And that pretty much wraps up the uh, news bites for the week. Um, I guess the overall theme here is stay humble and stack sats and self-custody your Bitcoin. Next up, we'll talk about, uh, this is from Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, this is June 29th, 2023. Fidelity refiles for spot Bitcoin ETF joining peer institutions. In a recent flurry of events indicating growing institutional interest in Bitcoin, Fidelity Investments has refiled its application for a spot Bitcoin ETF. This move comes after several other major players in the financial industry have also made similar filings, cementing Bitcoin's position as a sought-after asset among traditional investors. The momentum began with BlackRock, one of the world's largest asset management firms, filing for a spot Bitcoin ETF application. Although they were not the first, ARK Investments and 21 shares had already filed for a spot, BT, spot ETF. They indicated the cascading effect now seen. Investment firms Bitwise and Invesco both refiled for their own spot ETFs, which they had submitted previously. Shortly thereafter, Wisdom Tree, an investment management company renowned for its innovative exchange-traded products, 
filed its own application for a spot Bitcoin ETF, according to the now growing list of firms seeking to launch spot Bitcoin ETFs, Valkyrie Investments joined the race. Meanwhile, ARK, a prominent investment management firm, amended its 19B4 filing for a spot Bitcoin ETF, solidifying its position in the race for approval with the inclusion of a surveillance sharing agreement between CBOE and a crypto exchange, likely Coinbase. ARK's filing aligns with BlackRock's strategy and places them at the forefront to potentially be approved first, giving their early filing. However, amidst the competition, Fidelity Investments has re-entered the fray by reapplying for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Fidelity, a trusted name in the financial industry, brings its significant expertise and reputation to the Bitcoin market, further solidifying the notion that Bitcoin is gaining acceptance among institutional investors. James Seffert, an ETF analyst at Bloomberg, took to Twitter to share his guesses at when the filings may be addressed, noting that the dates for when the filings will be approved or denied are not exact. This series of events serves as a testament to the growing recognition of Bitcoin's potential as a mainstream asset class as more established financial institutions and investment management companies join the race to offer Bitcoin ETFs if you it becomes evident that Bitcoin is no longer just a niche investment for early adopters. And of course, as much as it's exciting and might result in good price action, the best way to hold your Bitcoin is in your own custody, uh, not your keys, not your coins. And of course, a Bitcoin ETF is exactly that. Maybe a little bit better than uh, holding your coins on an exchange. But um, it's not your Bitcoin, it's paper to you. Next up, uh, this is from Coindesk. This was posted on June 30th. Coinbase will be surveillance partner for Fidelity. Other Bitcoin ETFs refiled applications say. CBOE's BZX exchange named crypto exchange Coinbase as the market for its surveillance sharing agreement when it refiled its spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund applications for several would-be Bitcoin ETF issuers on went on Friday. <clears throat> Fidelity, WisdomTree, VanEck, ARK Invest, Galaxy Investco, and BlackRock all filed for spot Bitcoin ETFs over the past few weeks, hoping to succeed at launching a product the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission has rejected for years. While BlackRock filed with NASDAQ, the other companies are working with CBOE. On Friday, the SEC told some, both NASDAQ and CBOE that their applications were inadequate because they didn't name the market that had the fund sponsors that the fund sponsors are working with on their surveillance sharing agreements, according to Wall Street Journal. In its refiled applications, CBOE said Coinbase's platform represents a substantial portion of U.S.-based and U.S. dollar-denominated Bitcoin trading, as it named the U.S. crypto exchange as its partner for these surveillance sharing agreements. The Spot Bitcoin SSA surveillance sharing agreement is expected to have the hallmarks of a surveillance sharing agreement between two members of the ISG, which would give the exchange supplemental access to data regarding spot Bitcoin trades occurring on Coinbase if the exchange determines it is necessary as part of its surveillance program for the commodity-based trust shares in a manner similar to the way that exchanges share information as part of ISG. The SEC has called for surveillance sharing agreements with markets of significant size in the past, 
arguing that this is necessary to prevent market manipulation or other unwanted behaviors and protect consumers. The lack of these agreements figured heavily into many of the SEC's prior rejections of Bitcoin ETF applications. The regulator still has to formally acknowledge it is re reviewing the applications. The SEC will kick off an initial 45-day review period when it publishes the filings in the Federal Register, the National Logbook, but can extend this to a total of 240 days. Complicating the SEC's calculus may be the fact that it sued Coinbase earlier this month on allegations of operating an unregistered securities exchange, broker, and clearinghouse. Though the SEC is not alleging that Bitcoin itself is a security, and SEC Chair Gary Gensler has often referred to it as an example of a digital asset that is not a security, it also remains to be seen whether the SEC will agree that Coinbase is a significant regulated market for Bitcoin. A lot of people believe that uh, the lawsuits that were both filed pretty much at the same time with Coinbase and Binance were really just designed to put Binance out of business in the U.S., thereby giving Coinbase the market. Coinbase will probably end up paying some, some fines. And then, uh, obviously, they're intimately involved in all the new ETFs that are being proposed, so it seems likely that uh, that's how this will resolve itself and Coinbase isn't going away, although they're probably going to have to change their business practices and they won't be able to list tokens that are securities without going through the registration process and uh, probably they'll have to discontinue offering yield on things uh, if those are not also registered. Those programs need to be registered. So their business model will change, but it doesn't sound like they're going away um, based on all this. Uh, next up, a little update on FedNow, which uh, is uh, always interesting to follow. This was um, hosted on June 30th on Cointelegraph. FedNow early adopter list contains no blockchains, but some may integrate later. The Federal Reserve's upcoming instant payment system, FedNow, released its list of certified early adopters on June 29th. The organizations on the list have been certified as ready to connect with the platform when it launches in late July. No blockchain networks are on the list, despite at least two having previously announced that they would connect to the instant payment system. The FedNow service stated that some organizations not on the list may be integrated later, and Metal Blockchain said it intends to connect with the platform once it gains the appropriate bank sponsor. FedNow is an instant payment service in development by the United States Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve claims that the service will allow for instant transfers between banks in the U.S., similar to the United Kingdom's faster payments and Europe's single euro payment area systems. Currently, bank transfers within the U.S. can only be done through ACH or wire transfers, which are not settled instantly. FedNow is scheduled to launch in July. At least two blockchain networks have announced that they will be connecting to FedNow when it launches. One is Metallicus's Metal Blockchain. The Metallicus team stated in May that its network will allow instant conversion of cash to stablecoins through a connection with FedNow. At the time, FedNow's official website also listed Metallicus in its service provider showcase, providing further evidence that the integration was going to occur. 
This listing was removed within a few days of the announcement being made. On May 15th, Twitter user Jeff XRP remarked on the strangeness of its sudden removal. The list of service providers released on June 29th includes ACI Worldwide, ECS Fin, FPS Gold, Open Payment Network, and 11 other payment providers, but neither Metallicus nor Metal Blockchain are on it. In a conversation with Cointelegraph, Metallica's co-founder and CEO Marshall Hayner claimed that the company still intends to integrate Metal Blockchain with FedNow once it obtains the proper bank sponsorship, stating, Metallica's is currently in communication with the Federal Reserve and the FedNow program administrators while we seek the appropriate bank sponsor and stay focused on building our bank chain technology. The other blockchain network that has announced integration with FedNow was Tassat, creator of the Tassat Pay service and digital interbank network. Tassat claims its network is a business-to-business private blockchain for commercial banks. In March, it announced that it will connect a digital B2B payment platform to the upcoming FedNow service. Tassat was listed on the FedNow's website's service provider showcase as of June 30th. However, Tassat is not listed as a certified service provider in the June 30th list of early adopters. Cointelegraph reached out to the Tassat team through email but did not receive a response by the time of publication. In the Federal Reserve's announcement, it explained that some organizations not on the list may become service providers in the future. Quote, in addition to the initial adopters, the Federal Reserve continues to work with and onboard financial institutions and service providers planning to join later in 2023 and beyond as the initial step to growing a robust network aimed aimed at reaching all 10,000 U.S. financial institutions. FedNow has been criticized by some blockchain users for allegedly being a step toward a central bank digital currency. U.S. presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has claimed that it will lead to financial slavery. In April, the Federal Reserve issued a statement denying that FedNow is related to the CBDC. So, um, interesting. Uh, We'll see how it gets rolled out and what it actually looks like, but it sounds like um, we already do bank transfers. Wire transfers are expensive. ACH payments uh, are usually free, but they they take a couple days to hit your bank account. So I think having an instant payment uh, mechanism is good, but we will have to watch uh, whether or not the the CBDC becomes part of this or not. It's not 100% clear to me. Um, Also, you know, it will be important for Bitcoin only companies to, to continue to be able to transact in, in dollars uh, and other currencies to be able to allow people to buy Bitcoin and HODL uh, or if they need to lend or borrow against the Bitcoin or, or sell Bitcoin for fiat. So, um, uh, you know, if you're dealing with a bank, which most of the uh, Bitcoin only companies have to deal with banks to do that. Uh, um, I'm assuming eventually all those banks are going to be part of the system. Uh, While we're on the CBDC subject, I thought this was an interesting one. This was from Crypto Potato, and uh, this was last updated uh, yesterday, July 1st. This article is entitled, The Global Race to CBDCs, 130 Countries Are Already Exploring. Uh, 
An, an analysis conducted by Atlantic Council revealed that 130 nations, or 98% of the global GDP, are exploring a central bank digital currency. 11 countries have fully launched one, with China being an example. The research estimated that 95 countries had joined the CBDC race in the past three years. As of the moment, 130 nations have introduced some programs, with many being developed economies such as Japan, South Korea, Australia, the UK, and more. More countries, 46, are currently in the research phase, whereas 21 have launched pilot tests. Almost every G20 country has made significant progress and invested new resources in these projects over the past six months, Atlantic Council stated. The nations that seem most determined to issue a digital version of their official currencies include China, Nigeria, the Bahamas, Jamaica, and other Caribbean islands. The Chinese authorities have introduced several initiatives to popularize the digital yuan. Many local cities such as Shenzhen, Jinan, and uh, Lian Yungan offered numerous activities for this year's Spring Festival to encourage the use of the CBDC. Prior to that, the officials allowed digital yuan payments during the 2022 Winter Olympics Games held in Beijing. According to the analysis, the progress on retail CBDC in the United States of America has stalled. On the other hand, the world's largest economy has moved forward on a wholesale bank-to-bank -bank CBDC. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the G7 sanctions response, wholesale CBDC developments have doubled, the company behind the study claimed. Other leading economies like Japan and the United Kingdom are developing prototypes and are considering consulting the public on the eventual release of a CBDC. The European Central Bank has also displayed intentions to introduce a digital euro. The European Commission recently shed more light on the project, describing it as an alternative wide payment solution employed in online and offline trading. For their part, Brazil and India intend to launch their CBDCs next year. Banco Central do Brasil recently authorized Mercado Bitcoin to participate in the project alongside the financial software fintech Synquia, the brokerage firm Genial, and others. There are different reasons why a central bank would seek the launch of such a product. Atlantic Council believes CBDCs could promote financial inclusion by providing money access to the unbanked population, introducing competition in the local monetary markets, increasing the efficiency of settlements and lower transaction fees. On the other hand, CBDCs are much different than cryptocurrencies. The latter are famous for their decentralized nature. CBDCs will be issued and controlled by central banks, meaning they could work against people's privacy. Numerous individuals have warned about the release of those products. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, blasted that technology as a surveillance tool, voicing support for a ban within the southern state. Robert F. Kennedy, who announced his run for president of the U.S., labeled CBDCs as products used for oppression. And <clears throat> I think a wholesale CBDC, which is just between banks, uh, is maybe less of a concern, uh, but a retail CBDC, which is essentially an account of an individual with the central bank, is of greater concern because uh especially if if um uh it it's you know required i guess to be used for 
day-to-day payments, um, you can think of it like <clears throat> having um, all of your bank account activity on on the government's ledger system. And so they would know, uh, particularly if there was a POS system implemented, you know, at, at each point of sale, whether it's online or in, in, re, in, in, in a store or whatever, that could not only capture the total amount of your purchase, but also what you bought. Um, you know, it would certainly um, give the government a lot of information on what, what exactly you're buying from whom, when, how much. And um, I think the concern there is that that information could be, that data could be mined to create a social score. Uh, Oh, you bought too much beef or you're buying gas uh, or, you know, you bought a gun or you bought ammunition. Therefore, that lowers your social score and therefore that affects um, things that you might be able to do or participate in society. This is what China has done with their central bank digital currency. And so the concern is that that could happen in, in Western countries. <clears throat> but again, probably more of a concern as a retail product rather than as a wholesale product that's bank to bank. Um, but the bank to bank wholesale product could just be the first step towards a, ultimately a retail product and eliminating actual uh, physical cash and um, the selling point is always going to be inclusiveness and um, um, uh, ease of use. And so you just have to be careful not to give up your freedom for convenience and uh, with these CBDCs. So we'll, we'll continue to watch that with great interest. <clears throat> Next up, uh, crypto exchange Kraken ordered to submit user transaction data to IRS. Here's the latest. So another reason why you don't want to deal with centralized exchanges, um, cryptocurrency exchange Kraken has been ordered by a judge to submit a vast amount of user information to the Internal Revenue Service for an investigation into potential tax evasion. The United States District Court for the Northern District of California issued the order on Friday stating that Kraken must provide account and transaction details to the IRS to determine whether any users have underreported their taxes. Under the order, Kraken is required to disclose information about users who engaged in transactions exceeding $20,000 within a calendar year. This includes their names, real or pseudonyms, birth dates, taxpayer identification numbers, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, and other relevant documents. The court petition was filed by the IRS in February, soon after Kraken reached a settlement with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission over allegations of securities law violations related to its staking service. The IRS said that it had previously issued a summons to Kraken in 2021, but the exchange failed to comply, prompting the agency's investigation into the tax obligations of users who conducted cryptocurrency transactions between 2016 and 2020. As part of the court order, Kraken will also have to provide blockchain addresses and transaction hashes that that are already part of the exchange's transaction data. Additionally, Kraken may be required to produce raw data for the IRS. Kraken is a top crypto exchange with more than $819 million in daily trading volume over the past 24 hours, according to data by CoinGecko. 
Judge Joseph Spiro, who presided over the case, also denied several of the IRS's requests. He rejected the agency's demands for employment information and source of wealth from Kraken, as well as information from anti-money laundering investigations. The court must determine whether the government's summons is narrowly tailored, that is, whether it is no broader than necessary to achieve its purpose, the judge wrote in his analysis of some of the IRS's requests. The court finds that to the extent the first three requests were aimed at establishing the identities of the Kraken account holders who fall within the DOE definition, the information sought in these requests is much broader than what is necessary to achieve that purpose for a vast majority of DOE users. Nevertheless, Friday's ruling in favor of the government reflects the increasing crackdown on cryptocurrencies in the United States. Last month, the SEC sued both Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, and Coinbase, the largest U.S.-based cryptocurrency exchange. The commission filed 13 charges against Binance and its U.S. affiliates, ranging from allegedly operating as an unregistered exchange to offering unregistered securities. The regulator also levied similar charges against Coinbase, claiming that it operated as an exchange broker or clearing agency without the required registrations. Furthermore, the SEC has taken the enforcement action against crypto exchanges Kraken and Bittrex, as well as crypto lending platform Nexo so far this year. So um, centralized exchanges are just a honeypot for not only hackers, but also for the government. So uh, best thing to do is uh, buy your Bitcoin from a Bitcoin only company, put it in self self storage, uh, self-custody, cold storage, and uh, hodl, and, uh, and don't trade. Uh, next up is kind of an interesting uh, opinion piece on Prime Trust, which has kind of been in the news a lot uh, this month uh, over, uh, we think, a, a series of uh, blunders where they lost private keys and then tried to cover it up by taking new client money to uh, pay the uh, clients whose uh, keys were lost um, in sort of like a Ponzi scheme that had been going on for quite some time. Um, but uh, anyway, so this opinion piece uh, is from uh, Coindesk. This was dated June 29th. Prime Trust is having a bad month. Uh, so the narrative, Prime Trust owes customers more than $80 million in cash that it doesn't have, court filings this week showed. Why it matters. Prime Trust, a storied crypto custodian, is only the latest digital asset firm to acknowledge financial issues and face a takeover. But as a custody provider, it occupies a unique space among the various bankruptcies we've seen so far. Breaking it down, on June 8th, 2023, my colleague Ian Allison reported that BitGo, a crypto custodian that's vacuumed up other companies in the past, has begun the process of acquiring Prime Trust, the fellow custody provider. On June 22nd, two weeks later, BitGo walked away from this deal. That same day, rumors emerged that the state of Nevada had filed a cease and desist against Prime Trust, which the state later confirmed by publishing an order which alleged that it had a massive deficiency of customer funds and indeed may be insolvent. Four days after that, the state of Nevada took steps, of, took things a step further, filing for receivership, basically asking for court approval to take over the company, and alleging that Prime Trust A owed clients about $82 million in fiat that it didn't have access to, 
and B, lost access to certain crypto wallets in 2021 and so was using customer fiat funds to buy crypto and meet withdrawal requests. This filing, which was made public on Tuesday, is pretty alarming. It got sign-off from Prime Trust Interim CEO and Board indicating the company is cooperating with the State Financial Institutions Division. It's also worth noting that Prime Trust has changed leadership a few times since its founding. The allegations indicate that the custodian used wallets uh, it lost access to in 2021 prior to the current interim CEO's appointment. Uh, still, this appears to be the first time these revelations are being publicly disclosed and the implications are serious. One of these implications ties to the possible impact to TrueUSD, a stablecoin whose issuer said on June 22nd it had, quote, no exposure to Prime Trust before later acknowledging it had a relatively small amount in the, on the custodian. Rumors that TrueUSD used Prime Trust to mint and redeem tokens have persisted, though, and the token even depegged on the Binance. Uh, .us on Wednesday. Lawmakers are already paying attention to stablecoin issues and a bill addressing this sector of the crypto industry is still most still the most likely to pass through the house before other other legislation so I imagine Congress will take notice if one of the world's largest stablecoins continues to have issues and regulators will of course be paying attention to issues by a regulated custodian. Uh, again, um, a qualified custodian is should be you. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Next up is uh, this is from the Bitcoinist.com. This was posted today. Bitcoin bull Jack Dorsey nudges Twitter team to explore decentralized protocols. Jack Dorsey, Twitter co-founder, former CEO, and an ardent Bitcoin supporter, has reacted to the newly imposed Twitter restrictions on how many tweets a user can view per day. In the late hours yesterday, July 1st, American billionaire and chairman of Twitter, Elon Musk, announced that Twitter would be temporarily limiting the number of posts a user can view daily in an attempt to address extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation. Musk, who acquired Twitter for $44 billion in October 2022, stated that verified accounts are now restricted to reading 6,000 posts per day, with the daily limit set at 600 posts for unverified accounts and 300 posts for new unverified handles. However, the view limits have been raised twice since then, with verified accounts now allowed to view 10,000 tweets daily, while unverified and new unverified accounts can read 1,500 posts per day, respectively. As expected, these new view limits have drawn many reactions from Twitter's numerous users, most notably from company co-founder Jack Dorsey. Dorsey expressed that he understood that managing Twitter was no easy task, stating the current team was only doing their best. Running Twitter is hard. I don't wish that stress upon anyone. I trust that the team is doing their best under constraints they have, which are immense. It's easy to critique the decisions from afar, which I'm guilty of, but I know the goal is to see Twitter thrive. It will, he tweeted. In a follow-up tweet, Dorsey went further, nudging the Twitter management team to attempt building on decentralized protocols, describing the technology as vital to a free internet space. He tweeted, and I do hope they consider building on truly censorship-resistant open protocols like Bitcoin and Nostra to help ease that burden. 
good for all and critical to preserve the open internet. Jack Dorsey is a known crypto and Web3 advocate. Following the acquisition of Twitter by Musk, Dorsey invested 14 Bitcoin, valued at $245,000 at the time, to fund the development of Noster, which functions as a decentralized social network. Noster functions similarly to Twitter and is supported by Bitcoin Maximus, although it is not built on the Bitcoin blockchain. In addition to its social networking role, Noster is also designed to process payments on Bitcoin's Lightning Network. The Bluebird app is a vital social media tool for engagement in the crypto space, but it is as it allows for ICO announcements, bounty campaign promotions, and general project news. Although this change is temporary, one can only wonder about the ripple effects of the new Twitter views limit on its vibrant community. For now, these effects appear to be minimal, with the total crypto market cap rising by 0.4% in the last 24 hours, according to data by CoinGecko. <clears throat> Bitcoin, the premier cryptocurrency, is trading at $30,534, with a 0.3% gain on the day. The token's daily trading volume is valued at $5.91 billion, while its market cap stands at an impressive $592.76 billion. And last is uh, an article from Coindesk, and this kind of relates to uh, this week's blog post, which is, which is entitled Plan B with Bitcoin. And again, I'll include links to that as well as links to all these articles I've reviewed in the show notes. Um, but this is from Coindesk. This was posted on June 30th, and the article is entitled Crypto Hubs 2023, Where to Live Freely and Work Smart. Crypto is on the move. In the last several weeks alone, three exchanges, including Binance, Bybit, and OKX, have exited Canada altogether. Gemini announced it would dramatically boost headcount and operations in Singapore, and venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz has named its first non-U.S. outpost in London. This is a fluid time for crypto companies, as it seems the regulatory landscape is shifting eastward from North America, where both the U.S. and Canada are seen as unfriendly. In the past year or so, Dubai established the Virtual Asset Regulatory Authority, with neighboring city Abu Dhabi seeking to pass its own crypto-friendly regulatory framework this year. The European Union passed the Markets and Cryptos Assets Regulation in April, and just this month, Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission began accepting license applications for crypto exchanges. The lack of a global regulatory framework for crypto has made it possible, if not imperative, to practice regulatory arbitrage. Last year, directors of the International Monetary Fund's Monetary and Capital Markets Department called for a global framework to bring order to the markets, help instill consumer confidence, lay out the limits of what is permissible, and provide a safe space for useful innovation to continue. The absence of such coordinated worldwide effort would lead to national regulators locking into differing re regulatory frameworks. Ultimately, crypto professionals would be compelled to migrate to the friendliest jurisdictions. That is the reality of the crypto industry today. With the strong popularity of remote work, crypto companies really cannot ignore the possibility of relocating or at least expanding to more crypto-friendly jurisdictions. The countries or regions where regulations are in place are attracting attention and interest from even the biggest companies. 
It's no coincidence that after the United States Securities and Exchange Commission sued Coinbase, the largest U.S. crypto exchange, for allegedly trading unregistered securities, a politician in Hong Kong then invited the company to apply for licensing in the city-state, or that Coinbase had publicized its meetings with authorities in the United Arab Emirates to discuss establishing a hub there. Startup founders and digital nomads alike are surveying the landscape and developing a rubric for deciding where to put down roots, said Janina Piotrowska, an attorney at Rechten Swalt Leonard Partners in Liechtenstein that advises crypto clients on choosing where to incorporate especially security token offerings. She said regulation, though important, should not be the entire consideration. Other important factors include a favorable investment environment, the ease of doing business, and low taxes. If you could relocate anywhere in the world, where would you go? This is basically the question CoinDesk is answering in CryptoHubs 2023 with a ranked list of the best places uh, to live and work for crypto professionals. We put ourselves in a crypto startup founder's shoes and collected then weighed data for eight different criteria that range from regulatory friendliness, digital infrastructure to quality of life. Our results a ranked list of 15 crypto hubs may contain some surprises, <clears throat> and we hope uh, it will spark a discussion. So uh, it looks like number one on the list is Zug, where Ethereum was born and crypto go goes to grow up. <laughs> Second is Singapore, the Center for Asian Crypto Wealth is ready for a reset. Three, London, the world's capital for foreign exchange, adds cryptocurrencies to its ledger. Four is Seoul, Asia's retail crypto capital tries to move on after Doquan. Five is Dubai, launching a crypto regulatory arm to become a global financial power. Six, Abu Dhabi, a wealthy Mideast capital creating a bridge from TradFi to crypto. Seven, Wyoming, regulatory clarity and crypto-friendly banks fuel blockchain revolution. Number eight, Silicon Valley, the mecca for venture capital may be cooling on crypto. Nine, Austin, where remote work crypto developers actually choose to live. Ten, Berlin, the center for decentralized finance and techno music. Eleven, Los Angeles, where Hollywood magic and creativity meet Web3. 12, New York City, a crypto sandbox and a big business playground. Well, that's a surprising one. Vancouver, a boutique hub for crypto early adopters. 14, uh, Ljubljana, it's a beautiful life in this crypto payments hotbed. And number 15, Lisbon, a buzzy, affordable mecca for buy and hold crypto nomads. Now, I say crypto, but I only mean Bitcoin. And so, uh, but if it's crypto friendly, it should be Bitcoin friendly. And that's uh, that's all that matters. Last, uh, just make sure you check out the this week's blog post, Plan B with Bitcoin, a rational, low-cost approach to an offshore strategy. Uh, kind of an update of an article I wrote about a year ago on the sovereign individual. Um, so uh, check that out. Again, all the links will be in the show notes. And that's it for this week. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you're not already on Fountain, you should be. Uh, I listen to all my podcasts on Fountain and you can earn sats just for listening. And you can tip in sats on there too if you like the show. 
You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com, and you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Noster as well. Uh, I have a my Noster and uh, pub is actually on my Twitter profile. So, uh, but Twitter uh, at Nick Reichert. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.